It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This is a podcast from WOR. The Page Publishing Book Club. How you doing? I'm your host, Alice Stockton Rossini. George Carter is a scuba diver. He's written tons of magazine articles about his undersea adventures, like unearthing planes from World War II. And people kept telling him, write a book, write a book. So he did. It is entitled Ride with the Pirates. So this is what you do for a living, right? Yeah, that was my career for you know, almost 30 years. I owned a dive store, and um, I did a lot of commercial diving, that kind of stuff. So did you actually raise a B-25 bomber? lost for over 50 years from a North Carolina lake? I did. Wow. How many diving experiences do you talk about in your book? Um, I chose, I think, six or seven different adventures. Some are water-related and some are not. Six or seven different airplanes lost everywhere from the Arctic Circle to Papua New Guinea to a lake in North Carolina to a lake in New Jersey and to Hawaii, Philippines, all over the world. And each and every one of them is memorable for a number of reasons. Did, did you locate where these planes were or did somebody else locate them and say, OK, go get that? No, for the most part, uh, that was all part of what we did, was to try to go out and find them and then determine whether it was a viable artifact worth, um, you know, putting time and money into recovering it um, and then making an effort to bring it back. Sometimes we were successful and sometimes not. So you would recover something and hopefully someone would be interested enough in it to cover your expenses. Usually we had a, a... uh, end user for the aircraft before we put that kind of investment into it. Somebody was interested in, you know, I need an X, and we would go out and try to find one. I spent a few summers in, you know, in the Arctic and, uh, you know, come home to winter time, and then a few long summers in the tropics, and uh, it's uh, kind of extremes. It's, uh, you know, it, it was an interesting time of, of my life because I got to experience, you know, parts of the planet that I would never have any other reason to go there. Can can you always see when you go underwater? Isn't it dark? No. Yes, yeah, sometimes it's um, all touchy-feely. It's, you know, imagine yourself being in a closet at midnight trying to find your keys. Yeah. And other times, you know, we were in Hawaii and, and gorgeous tropical sunsets and beautiful water. It's all part of, wow, how lucky could I be to be having this experience? You know, after the fact, sometimes you think about it and go, how stupid were we? Right, to crash your boat into a bunch of rocks, right? <laughs> exactly, right. yeah. It was like, you know, after the fact that everybody's okay, you go, that was close. <laughs> I've always joked with my wife, you know, I've used up my nine lives and, and several other people. Why were you almost kidnapped in the Philippines? Well, we were picked up by um, a group of revolutionaries. You know, and um, 
spent an uncomfortable hour or so laying in the dirt, and, and they released this, and that's how it went. So now they want to know, can we make money off of these people or not? So right. Fortunately, we had a very um, cooperative guide with us. Language barrier wasn't an issue, and uh, it all turned out okay. What's it like to almost run out of air? Don't know it until it happens. And then that's all part of training and things that we do as divers that, okay, there's a problem I've got to, I've got to solve. And um, hopefully we have a backup plan to, to fix it. And it happens. Uh, it shouldn't happen, but, you know, we're fallible human beings. And sometimes, you know, our greed and our, our desire to get something done overwhelms our common sense. Do you continue to do this to this day? Just recreationally, just for fun. You know, we always like to say, you know, we found all the easy ones, you know, and now in order to find some of these artifacts, you have to go, you know, much further, much deeper, and it requires much more money. Yeah. Are you doing any self-promotion of your book? Yeah, I've done a bunch of uh, book signings, a couple of museums that I have aircraft in, you know, have copies of the book, and kind of how it's going. Where might <laughs> we find some of your stuff? What museums? Um, the B-25 that we raised in the lake that you talked about earlier is in the Southern Museum of Flight in Alabama. A B-17 that we brought off of the ice cap in Greenland is in the National World War II Museum in New Orleans. You know, so there's a couple that are, you know, in interesting cities and, and, and easy to go see. Man, you got that right. Excellent adventures, George. Thanks. You'll never guess what Tim McNutt's profession is by the title of his book. No, all right, you will. <laughs> Allie Alligator's <laughs> awesome smile. That's right. That's right. How long have you been a dentist? Uh, actually, I've been in practice for about 30 years now. And it took you this long to write a book for kids? Well, I actually wrote the book. 29 years ago or so, because really out on the market, there was not anything that was uh, written in a way that would encourage children to go to the dentist before they have problems. Most of the books uh, at the time, and actually still probably, uh, you know, would talk about a child going to the dentist after they had a problem, you know, a toothache or something of that nature, and tried to make it a, a less threatening type visit. But really, we want children to go to the dentist before they have a problem and uh, hopefully then, you know, make things a whole lot less uh, of a problem, you know, from a really early age, it's encouraged that children start seeing a dentist about six months after their first teeth appear. So, you know, we normally start seeing children here at around a year to 18 months old. It's the parents that have to bring them though, right? Right, right. <laughs> so it's, it's all about parent education things, right? Right. So what's the story? How's the story go? Well, you know, Allie is uh, a young alligator and does not have all of her uh, first set of teeth yet, and uh, they're going to see uh, Dr. Smiley, and uh, so they go to Dr. Smiley's office, and uh, along the way, they meet some characters, and one of the characters they meet on the way is Freddie Frog, and and uh, she tells them where they're going and all that stuff, and then she gets to the dentist. And in the book, we try to, to use some of the uh, words and things that we normally use here, like instead of um, explore, which is the little instrument that helps us you know, check for decay and things, we call it a tooth counter. Or like the light is Mr. Sunshine, or the suction is Mr. Thirsty. So we try to use the words that we would use uh, here in the office, which, again, is a lot less threatening and things. 
And so Allie has her visit there at the dentist. Everything goes well, and she's in good shape. And, uh, you know, she's going home, and she meets Freddie Frog again. And uh, Freddie Frog doesn't have any teeth, and so he wishes he had some teeth like Allie uh, so that he would, you know, have a pretty smile and things. So uh, just, just a, you know, an encouraging thing for them to go, again, before all the baby teeth are present and, uh, you know, see the things and be exposed to the things here and get a good checkup and and uh, hopefully keep things in good shape for a long time. Can I find a copy of this book in your office? Yes, ma'am. <laughs> you sure can. Several of them, actually. So, <laughs> yeah. Do people buy and, them? Yes. Uh, we, you know, sell them out of the office and things here. Of course, they're available online and things as well. And uh, we really appreciate it. And, and again, most of our, I go and speak to a lot of different uh, daycares and nurseries and uh, kindergartens and all of that kind of thing. And I normally try to take one to give to those kind of uh, places where the children are being cared for. And uh, hopefully again, so that uh, get a little parent education out and uh, encourage them to seek, uh, seek a dentist you know, at an early age and things. Yeah, I mean, wouldn't it be great to have kids go, Mommy, Mommy, please take me to the dentist? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I tell you, it's it's an interesting thing. I mean, people ask me all the time whether or not the children cry and this, that, and the other. And, you know, every now and then you may have a child that, that cries while they're here. But uh, honestly, we have more children cry to leave than they do here because when they come to the office, you know, they get to pick out a movie and a prize basket, and most pediatric dental offices are in an open design, and so you don't go into a room all by yourself, uh, which makes it a lot less threatening. Uh, you know, they see other children there and doing what they're doing, and you know. Yeah, I mean, I wish it was like that when we were kids. No wonder parents have so much anxiety. Thanks, Dr. McKnight. Alyssa Holstey also wrote a children's book while she was on maternity leave with her three-month-old. And she's kind of a type A person working for a nonprofit, providing legal training to people involved in Pennsylvania's child welfare system. So she needed something to do when she wrote, Doug the Dog Goes to the Beach. Alyssa. It was random. I was, you know, home. Um, and kind of bored. And my mind was, of course, running a thousand miles per hour as it always does. Um, and I just laid him down for a nap and had this idea and scribbled it out on a legal pad and then showed my husband when he got home. I was like, so want to see what I did today? I wrote a book. And he was like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> so it was just really random. But yeah, it was kind of for my son. I have two um, beautiful nieces. Um, so kind of for them, just I don't know. It was really cool, like becoming a parent and actually reading children's books, um, I think kind of prompted some of it, I would say. Did Did you read some of the children's books and go, hmm, I think I could do that? Oh, my goodness. I did. I read some of the children's books and was like, wow, this is the worst book I've ever read in my whole entire life. But for some reason, my ch my child like loves some of these really silly kids books. And then I read other ones that I was like, oh, my gosh, that has the most incredible message for a children's book. I feel like all adults should read it, right. you know, so... I really, I think it was kind of a combination of all of those things, but um, I do have a big doppy dog at home who, who goes by the name of Doug, um, and he was the rescue and, of course, the, the inspiration for the main character in the book. So he is so. Doug the dog. He is Doug the dog. Well, you guys are in Pennsylvania, so you're kind of far from the beach, right? Yes, ma'am. Um, we have been, my family has been traveling to the beach as one big giant 
uh, family trip since I was, I was born in March and my first family trip to the beach was in July. Um, and we've gone every single solitary year since then. So when I say big family, I'm talking, there were like, you know, 12 to 15 of us all stuck in one house for the family beach trip for one week, every single year. Where? Down at North Shores, which is outside of Rehoboth in Delaware. Oh, okay. would be the last beach before you hit like Cape Henlopen. Okay. Doug the dog is, like I said, our big doppy dumb dog here at home. And then his little Boston Terrier dog friend, Libby. Um, she is also a dog here at the house. And then Kitty randomly showed up one day, uh, just walked right inside and just kind of inserted herself into our life. Um, and then, of course, um, Doug's best friend, the boy, JJ. That's my son's name, Jacoby James. And we refer to him as JJ. So he's reflected in the book. But the rest of my big extended family is not. So I, I really based the main character in the book kind of off, off of our Doug. He was a rescue, this cute little kind of ugly terrier looking puppy. And Doug was kind of like a gremlin. He just started growing overnight. And the next thing you know, he's 145 pounds of solid muscle. He is definitely not a terrier mix. The vet is thinking shepherd lab, Akita, very hairy, right? But for a big dog, he is just like kind of the dumbest dog. Um, he's, a, he's scared of the dark. He is scared of, of very little random things. Um, but I'll tell you, he has this, this huge heart. And I think that that's kind of what prompted this story. It was like our dog, Doug, going on these adventures through his dreams because he's just kind of too big and dumb to do anything else. Just this idea that Doug gets to travel to all of these different places and see all of these different things, you know, just by falling asleep and dreaming about it at night. And of course that, you know, the places that he travels and the adventures that he has while on his travels are all experienced, um, you know, alongside of his best friend, JJ, his boy at home. So I do have two other um, books that would be part of the series if and when we decide to move forward with publishing them. But of course, publishing them comes with a cost. So yeah. <laughs> while I'm all about making Doug the Dog famous, um, I think that it has to, because I work for a not-for-profit, it has to come within my financial abilities to do so. Okay. <laughs> so what we've done so far, um, Doug the Dog, my, my family owns a pet and farm center that's been in business um, since the 1960s here in Carlisle. My great-grandfather started the business, and it's been passed down um, through the generations. So they were the first to hold a Doug the Dog sale and book signing. I was also then invited down to a local library where they have a preschool reading program, and they invited me down um, to do to read Doug the Dog Goes to the Beat, and then they actually did a craft project after the book reading um, involving the kids making their own Doug the Dog puppets. Um, and I do have a few friends who are teachers who are going to be taking Doug the Dog into their classroom. Nice work, Alyssa. A lot of good ideas there. All right, we got to take a short break, but we will be back right after these words. Attention all authors. Page Publishing is looking for authors. Have you written a book and want to get it published? Page Publishing will get your book into bookstores and for sale online at Amazon, Apple iTunes, and other outlets. They handle all aspects of the publishing process for you. Printing, cover art, publicity, copyright, and editing. Call 800-204-6099 now for your free author submission kit. That's 800-204-6099 for your free author submission kit. 
We're back on the Page Publishing Book Club. I'm your host, Alice Stockton-Rossini. Lisa Cassatt's baby had recurring earaches and high fevers, and doctors told her he needed tubes in his ears so he wouldn't lose his hearing. Well, a week after his surgery at the age of two, Lisa's son suddenly lost his developmental skills. Her book, A Mother's Heart, The Will to Fight, is her son's story. And Lisa, you say you had to fight for everything, including his paperwork. They said that I would get his paperwork between 10 to 15 business days after his surgical procedure. Well, I never got it. And he he could read. He was fully potty trained. He could dress himself at two years old. He went from that to not being able to talk, completely forgot how to use the bathroom, didn't remember how to dress himself seven days after the surgical procedure. And when I would call to tell them, look, something's not right. And they told me that I would have to give it more time that some kids just heal slower than others and that he was just adjusting to the tubes that they put in his ears. That's what I was told. For three months, um, I asked five people, two nurses that dealt with blood work, two neurosurgeons and a different doctor. And I said, by looking at this blood work and this paperwork, does this look like a child that has autism? And they said that this looks like a perfectly normal kid. I said, so what happens to a child that's perfectly normal that goes in for a simple surgical procedure and comes out different? And I was told this, that in their professional opinion, he suffered an allergic reaction to the anesthetic he was given. But it it would be up to you to prove that. Yeah. Like I said, it took me five years to fight for his paperwork and about a year and a half to look everything up that they tested on him so I could understand it. And now, in order to take the next step, because I can prove it, I have to get an out-of-state lawyer to fight the state of Colorado. How old is your son? He is 10 now. Did he regain what he lost? Well, he can talk when he wants to. Potty training, uh, it's a hit and miss. He can dress himself up to a point. You still have to help him. It's just until his brain um, remembers, it's a constant, repetitive, every day, got to go through the same routine um, to get him to do the same things he did on his own at two. When all the tests were done at Children's Hospital, About six or seven months after his surgical procedure, I was told he definitely did have ASD, and this was before his testing came back, and that I would go through the death of a child. This is what I was told, the one that I knew before and the one I was going to have to get used to. But I needed to live my life the way I normally did to keep his routine like I normally had been since he was born and good luck to me. As a result of an allergic reaction to the Asia. anesthetic. So your purpose in writing this book is what? Well, I started hearing similar stories like mine. So when I did pharmacology for school is when I found out about the anesthetic that they give kids, which is a general anesthetic. And there's a component in there that paralyzes their brain, the main transmitter in the brain. And it has drastic effects on male kids eight and under, not females, but males. When a child has an allergic reaction to that type of strong anesthetic, it damages that main transmitter. Okay. And it goes to all parts of the brain. And any damage to those parts can mimic behaviors like ADD, 
ADHD and autism. My book was to get other families who've gone through the same situation as myself. I, with my flyers, I have um, mailed them to like over 500 libraries. I'm doing a book signing here in my town. I've been to some of the libraries here in Denver, Colorado, and I've talked to them to get that message out there. Oh, Lisa, my heart goes out to you, and I, I hope that you are able to get all the help you need. Thank you. Nona Austin Roberts took care of her daughter when she had cancer, then her husband, her mom, and her mother-in-law before they died, and still managed to write five books. Writing's an escape for you, isn't it? Oh, I can't wait to get back to it because, yes, you've used the right word. It's a, it's an escape. It's a soulmate. It's really helpful to keep me going, to have a purpose, to have a reason to keep on and, and keep going. It really, really, truly is. You hit the nail on the head. Now at the age of 78, Nona is publishing her first book. It's entitled Sarah Madigan's Diary, and it's based on some family history, right? Well, basically, my mom and my grandmother and great-grandmother were all uh, born and raised on farms in Kentucky. And I grew up in San Francisco, but we used to make trips there. And it was really basically from the stories that I heard from my mom about her growing up years and from my other relatives just watching them do some of the chores and things that they did and were still doing back when I was growing up. Um, Also, um, because Sarah Madigan's diary has some Her husband is a very difficult man, and he basically is an abuser, but without any kind of physical abuse, but mental, emotional abuse. And I've known a couple of women who've had that experience. And so I was able to um, write about that. What's the book about? Okay, uh, Sarah Madigan is a 24-year-old in 1910, married to a man about 10 years older. She's had three children die from diphtheria. And then she has a fourth child that her husband, who is a very controlling man, he has an accident on a horse, and um, he is wondering or worrying that he's going to lose some control of her. Plus, she's very emotionally uh, drained and uh, in a bad shape because of the losing of her children. So he sends the fourth child away, just a tiny baby, two, two or three months old, sends that child away to people that she does not know and he claims to her that he needed to do that for her own mental health which she sort of buys and understands and believes but then her life becomes a matter of doing whatever she can to go forward and stay alive to get her son back so she has a purpose she then has a purpose for her life and when she steals this diary she has a place to put her feelings that nobody else will will see or know about. So those two things allow her to survive and ultimately thrive. But it's um, a, a tragedy that I think a lot of people back then, especially women, uh, the challenges that women faced. I mean, in 1910, women weren't even allowed to vote. Right. And they were still basically under main control of their husbands. Right. And Everybody saw it that way. It wasn't just an individual thing. It was women saw it that way. Men saw it that way. Churches saw it that way. So you are always constantly kind of struggling against that, knowingly or unknowingly. 
And um, so she was in that struggle and was able with those two things to have a purpose that she wanted to keep going and also to um, get her child back. Well, you know, how sad that she had to prove to her husband that she was capable and worthy when you, you know, I'm reading what you wrote here. That's so sad to me, but so common back then. Yes, and I I think sometimes it's common today too, but not like it was then because that was a very different time. Yeah. Very few women had jobs other than and frankly, if you were a farmer like my my grandparents and and all that and you go out and see them, women didn't have a moment to spare. It took all day long just to do the regular normal chores of life, just to take care of your family and to uh, if you lived on a farm, you know, milking and all the things that you did that went along with that. It was a full-time job and very difficult job. Yeah, yeah. Required a lot of skill, too, by the way. We can do anything. <laughs> We're amazing women. We are. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Nona. Finally, Scott Heaton is an aquatic therapist, does warm water therapy. He wrote a book a few years ago and decided it was time to publish it. It's entitled Opposite Land. Scott. Um, it's it's about a young boy who decides that he wants to live in opposite land because he wants to be tall. He wants to be the teacher, not the student. He wants to do all these things that, you know, in regular society he's not really allowed to do. And then, you know, towards the middle of the book, he decides that, you know, he needs to look at the other side as well and starts thinking about all the other things that would happen if he really did live in opposite land. And, uh, in the end, he decides that he'd rather stay where he is, the land that's opposite, opposite land. <laughs> what is opposite land? Everything he's not, every everywhere he's not. <laughs> right, right. Why does he want to go there? Is his life so bad? No, he just, you know, uh, he wants to be tall, not small. He wants to be the teacher, not the student. What inspired you to write this? Well, uh, back in the 70s, I was a wrestler at Cal Poly. And I had a I had a teammate who was a big brute of a guy. He was a, a farrier. He did horseshoeing for, and so I would uh, you know when we would wrestle. I would take him down and and put him on his back, and he'd fight for a few seconds, and then he'd stop and he'd look at me and he'd say, uh, you know, if we were in opposite land, I'd be on top. <laughs> and uh, you know that stuck with me. And when I started thinking about putting together a children's book, that's uh, that came to me, and I thought, what a great concept. Do you have children? I do. I have four children. Oh, geez. And <laughs> I, have, uh, I have one grandchild and just about ready to have a second grandchild. So they're all grown up. Why weren't you writing children's books while they were growing up? <laughs> because you're busy when you're yeah. raising kids. Right. So now your so, little grandkids can read it. Yes. Are you going to keep writing? Is this a dream you've always had? You know, I've got uh, I've got another idea or two. I'm going to kind of just wait and see what happens with with this book first, and if I uh, find that I'm motivated to to sit down and start uh, putting a pen to paper again, then then I've got a couple ideas. Well, are you doing anything? Are you to put it out there? Uh, you know, I'm I'm putting it out on Facebook. I've got. Uh, I've got a couple of organizations that are helping to promote. And then, you know, I, 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 we see a lot of people here at uh, our aquatic center. And so I've got a book out and we talk there as well, try to promote. Well, isn't aquatic 
Isn't isn't that opposite land right there? <laughs> going under, going underwater. <laughs> I, I guess you could consider it though, as well. Yeah, sure. Does it feel good to be a published author? It does. Yeah. It does. It's uh, it's a good it's a good feeling, and uh, you know, I think the book is is pretty meaningful. I think that uh, the children and and uh, you know, if if parents or grandparents are reading it to them, I think that they. They feel good after reading it because there's a good message there. Yeah, and the message is be happy with who you are. Thanks, Scott. That is it for this edition of the Page Publishing Book Club. I'm Alice Stockton Rossini. Right on, people. This has been a podcast from WOR. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.